0: Welcome to Second Win, the podcast, where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am, and that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. For listening today, I have Janine Valentine, and I am starting with the episode she did back in March of 2021, March 1st. A great, powerful episode where Janine just went to the depths of despair and pulled herself out, found out that she didn't really know who she was and that she was going to be alone. And it was tough. It was really tough. She found out also that she had a passion and it was for writing, especially writing poetry. And she shares one of her poems with us on the podcast called Heights. It's a really good listen. And I want you to listen to it again because next week, following time, this Second Wind podcast comes out, I will have a new episode with Janine because she just wrote a book that's called. Both things are true. A journey from fearing trust to trusting fear and has absolutely nothing to do with the last years of her life. It has everything to do with a circumstance that she found herself in and then how she climbed her way out of that. And it's catapulted into many new things for her. So please enjoy this episode today. I know the poem is going to make your heart sing and I can't wait for you to listen to the new episode with Janine Valentine next week. Thanks so much. All right, so what do you do when you fall in love and marry your sweetheart at 19 years old? You have the perfect family, you homeschool your children, and you live and breathe what is the status quo. What happens when 30 years later, it's all ripped away? Janine Valentine is my guest today, and she's going to share her story, her many now what moments that she had, and how she started her business, which is now flourishing, and Janine herself is flourishing and above Bonus, she is an amazing poet, and she has discovered that through all of this and her journey. So welcome to the podcast. Janine, I am so excited for you to be here and share your story. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Wendy. It feels so good to be invited. I've enjoyed our conversation so far and I look forward to continuing it here.
0: Yay! Yeah. And it's my fault because she lives in Denver. There's a time thing and I put down the wrong time and I'm sitting here going, hmm, where is she (laughs) for the Zoom call? And you were so gracious to say, I'll be right there. Wrong time, but I'll be right there. So thank you so much for adapting and adjusting, but everything happens for a reason. So maybe something magnificent will happen today. I'm sure it will. So let's start because there's so many pieces to this puzzle. Let's start with that moment of where you are looking back from your chair right now in your office with your work and all the cool things that are happening and that you're self-sufficient and income and you're feeling great. What catapulted you to that moment?
1: So my you mentioned I got divorced after it was 29 and a half years of marriage. I didn't really see it coming. Rug ripped out from underneath me. I'd been stay-at-home mom. And so I had to go get a job. And I was in survival mode for the first, I would say, two or three years. It was really bad that first six to eight months. And then, you know, just really survival mode. And then I realized that I wanted to have my own business. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. was like the first time I got to really ask myself that question. And then I randomly heard about the business that I'm in, which is real estate transaction management and knew it was for me. So my huge, my biggest now what moment was when I actually gave notice at my office, like my day job, I was single girl and I just had a finite amount of savings. I was living pretty much paycheck to paycheck on my office job. I didn't have any clients yet for my new business, but I knew that I could put the time and energy in or force myself to do the things that scared me the most about starting my business unless I had to. So working around my office job while my boss had been amazing and supportive during that time. So I call it my burn my ships moment. And so I burned my plan B, my retreat plan, and I left. And I was raised to be very frugal with like my emergency fund of savings was for an emergency. And this was not an emergency But when I look back, it like was. It was, it was an emergency. An emergency of my yes. soul. Yeah. Yeah. So I gave myself permission to live on my savings for six months. And I was like, I can always get another office job when my savings is almost gone, you know? So I decided to believe in myself that much. And that was a pivot point for me because I've never invested in myself my whole life until then. So
0: that was big. And now your company TC, what's it called? KTC Services. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Very yeah.
0: important. Great idea. Great passion of yours now.
1: It is. And yeah, it, it took did. off like crazy and I do it pretty different than how most people do this job. I just because I came in with no preconceived ideas. I had never worked in real estate in any capacity. So I didn't have like a a thought process about, I just went in like, how would I want someone to do this job for me? If I were on the receiving end, what would I need? I'm a good listener. I'm pretty relational. So Didn't take very long to kind of figure out what my agents wanted and needed from me. So I personalized my process for each of them because it's different for each person. And so I took off. My business doubled every year for the first three years. I have two processors underneath me now. And I decided to create a wait list as my business model because it's me that they're hiring and I don't want to farm out work. So I just have a wait list and my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm teaching people how to do what I do. I've just finished an online course. I love what I do. I love my clients. It's just a really great space to be in. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So glad that I took that huge (laughs) risk. Yeah.
0: And hopefully people can feel your energy through the podcast. Like I can feel Mm -hmm. it right now with our discussion. You're so happy right now, but it really wasn't all happy, but I really, truly believe that sometimes in order for us to get to our greatness, we need to be kind of torn apart. There's so many things out there and almost evidence-based beliefs about it now. So let's go back because you've got a great story and I really think it's going to resonate with so many people. Let's start with who is Janine? How did you grow up? How did you end up getting married at 19? Let's start there. Is that okay? Mm,
1: Yeah, I was born and raised mostly in Oregon. And I was the oldest of three kids, so first child. And I had a pretty typical childhood. It was that generation. though. now that I look back, I wouldn't have been aware of this then. But both of my parents had really kind of shielded their emotion from the kids. And so, you know, I didn't ever really know them as people. They were my parents, you know, I think a lot of us this age kind of had a similar relationship with our parents. Me as well. for sure. But I had an unusual in high school, I became a exchange student. So I left home at 16, and went to Australia for a whole year. And this was before internet and cell phones. And it was pretty brave, of my parents to let me do that because they lost touch with me for about a month at that time they felt that would help with homesickness so I wasn't allowed to speak with my family for the first month and then like they, to prevent um, homesickness they they, yeah they thought oh backwards. this will help you acclimate if you're not constantly in contact with your family so they could write letters but we couldn't talk you know so <laughs> And it, it was back when we had to write it on that paper, like rice paper, airmail stuff. Oh, yes. Like to get to you. So it really wasn't, anyways. Like you're on the phone with them a month later going, oh, I just got your letters. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. So It was right about the time that they were able to start talking to me that they had to tell me that my dad had been transferred to Colorado. And so I was supposed to be going home to Oregon for my senior year. And instead I came home to Colorado, but I was uniquely equipped for that because I had just gone through being the new girl, you know, at a high school in another country. And I also had picked up this really cool accent. (laughs) I was like pretty popular when I hit Colorado because I seemed really different, and so I was able to kind of blend in my senior year there. So it was unique in that I went to three different high schools during my high school years. So don't then, really wish that on anybody, actually. Right, right. It's cool. What's that, that enough makes reunion part. It's like yeah. I don't know. Which, I don't uh, like feel close to the place I graduated from. I knew those kids for eight or nine months. You know, right. so it is kind of interesting. But let's see where. So you graduate. <laughs> you graduate from high school. I graduate from high school and it was hard to be back under my parents' roof my senior year after being sort of independent my Mm -hmm. junior year. So I moved out right away and so I got a job that summer and moved out by the end of summer with a friend that I met my senior year of high school and I asked a bunch of my co-workers to help me move and this boy helped and took me out for dinner afterwards. Yeah, you
0: said he was the only boy that he showed up. He was the up.
1: only one that showed up out of all the employees I invited <laughs> um, and while we are divorced now, we did end up getting married, but while we're divorced now, I do have to say he was always that guy, you know, he really was always that I'll show up, I'm reliable and I'll help out, you know, but he was also my dad in that if he was a deep thinker, it never showed (laughs) and just wasn't in touch with his emotions and just knew that if he felt uncomfortable, it must be someone around him causing that discomfort. Hmm. So got married at 19, I think just because it was the next thing, you Janine, know, the older like, than you, well, a year older. So he oh, was only a year older. Okay. Nineteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was in college and working and he was working and we just, you know, kind of, it was just like the next thing for us. And I don't think we really thought that through you know, that we didn't know each other or ourselves well enough to be getting married. Well, it's a different time and place now. The world yes. different
0: where you have to communicate and understand each mm-hmm. other and all that stuff. So yeah, all yeah. of us kind of go with whatever we thought was what we were supposed to do. Right? Right. Yeah. That's why the second wind is so important now. It is. I think. So yeah. anyway, keep, I digress. Keep going because yeah. it's a great story.
1: So we mo- ended up moving for his job to Northern Cali. And that's where both of our kids were born. And then we had like an issue in our marriage that was pretty significant. He was unfaithful and he lost his job as a result of this affair. So we thought our marriage was over and I chose to move where my support system was back to Colorado because I still had parents and siblings and stuff here. And so I actually begged him to come with because not to be with me necessarily, but because I wanted the kids to have their father. That makes sense. But we were so broke. And it was during a time when the real estate market was upside down in California. So we were upside down in our house. Oh, yeah. So we were trying to sell our house, but we weren't going to make anything on it. We were going to have to pay out. And it was just a huge mess. And he was, you know, looking for work. And so we ended up living in his parents' basement, the four of us in one bedroom for a few months. And then he got us set up, the kids and I, in a house. And he took a job where he had to fly to Seattle to train for three months and was gone all summer. And it was during that summer that he realized like that he really did want to be married. And so we started to put our marriage back together and I forgave him and, you know, leaned in and we, that was at the 10 year mark and we stayed married another 19 years. Oh, Um, wow. I didn't
0: realize it was that soon into your marriage. Yeah. Oh man. And you took him back.
1: And 19 more years, Mm -hmm. which we finished raising the kids. And mostly I felt like I was happy in hindsight. I realized how out of touch I was with, myself and with reality. And I just, that, Janine, what is that? What did that look like for you? I lost myself completely in this marriage. Like I just disappeared. It's like a slow boil. You know, you don't know you're doing it. Didn't feel like I was ever completely sacrificing myself. It just was like, Oh, he prefers this. So this is what we do now. And it just kind of kept going that way until it was mostly his preferences. And I don't think even he realized that that was happening. It wasn't like he was a domineering, you know, bully or anything, but he would make his preferences known. And I was a pleaser Mm -hmm. and, you know, we didn't really know how to compromise or talk things through. And I shoved my emotions down as I'd been taught to, <laughs> and so, hey, going through the paces, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is a part of the story, but I don't mean to offend anybody, but Christianity was playing in there for me in that we were participating in a Christian church. And the message there was, you know, that the wife should be submissive to her husband and that marriage is for life. And, you know, it's like, I just kind of had to kind of keep reinvesting myself. And so, you know, he would prefer the kitchen be clean when he got home. So I'd make sure it was. And he commented that he didn't like that. I didn't have makeup on one day when he came home. So I started making sure I always had makeup on before he got home. And I was raising two young children, you know, staying at home. And, and so I just little pieces of me kept going. And by the time he announced that he didn't want to be married anymore, the last time when it actually took, it was like one of my friends wanted to kind of provide me a little respite, like during that, like, Oh, you know, come over and I'll take care of you. Like, what do you like? What do you like to eat? What do you like to drink? And I was like, no, one's asked me that. Like, it still makes me tear up a little bit. I was like, I didn't know the answer to that very basic question. It was like, I don't know. I don't know what I like. Wow. I could tell you what my husband liked, what my children liked, what all my best friends liked, what my parents, I could tell you everything everybody else liked. I had no idea what I liked. So Mm -hmm. with the divorce came an identity crisis big time. It was like, who the hell am I? If I'm not this wife and Mother and I had no plans for myself. I had no dreams that I had on hold. My dream was to empty nest with my husband and
0: travel. Yeah, this like push and pull. Like you were like, no, 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 wait, let's make it work. Like Mm -hmm. you didn't want to give up what you had because
1: you didn't even know what could be. Yeah, I had never lived on my own. Now, mind you, I mean, I moved out when I was. 18 and had that roommate right and then he moved in shortly after that like so there was three of us and then we got married I'd literally never lived alone ever and so it was like I was 48 you know and I was like I don't know how to be alone I'm terrified of being alone I didn't feel capable of being alone and I would have done anything to stay in that marriage because it felt like my safety zone it was my safety net you know it was like the known even though it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't enough. Authentic expression of myself. It was all I knew. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified. And I mean, he agreed to therapy one last time. And I just had this aha moment, you know, in the therapist's office that I didn't admit until the next morning when I woke up next to him. And I was like, I remember looking at him and saying, We're just delaying the inevitable, right? Like, I could probably convince you to stay another few months or another couple years, but you're going to leave, huh? And he's like, Yeah. I was like, this is over. So I, at that moment was just like realizing I'd been waiting for this for 19 years. I had lived with this low grade stress under the surface of when is he actually going to leave? Like when's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. Of- and yeah. it's like, I, you know, I kind of felt like he had a foot out the door ever since the 10 year mark. And wow. you know, it just was this fear that was always there because he had done it once, he could do it again. And it just was always there. And I I was right, and it was like okay, I should have believed him back then, and you know, started my life over younger. But at the same time, he was a good father, and Mm -hmm. we were able to raise our children together. He wasn't abusive, or you know what I mean, all of those things. It was just
0: status quo. Yeah. So, did you like live those whole nineteen years with like also? Oh, he's not where he said he should be. I wonder where he is. Like, did you have like trust issues? Yeah, I tried to
1: suppress those, but they did come up once in a while. I mean that was one of his things. He's like, I will always care about you. I just don't want to be married. I don't want to have to tell anybody where I am. I don't want to be accountable. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Those were his exact words to me. So, I mean, he got married at 22, 20, you know, he was 20 also when we got married. So it was like, he missed out on that time in his life, just like I did. So part of me does understand that it was, but, but because I had been cheated on. I had this, like, you know, if he's not checking in and if he's telling me he's out mountain biking for four hours, is he really, you know, yeah, they're it's just hard.
0: This. Once you get, once you pour yeah. in and then you get cheated on, I know it took, oh gosh, you know, I had a boyfriend yeah. for a long time and there was so much cheating. And it's just like, do you even ever get over that? I don't know. I don't know. You do. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Cause there's always that
0: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't right
1: right there to me again. Yeah. It was just really low grade under the surface. It wasn't like always right there in my face, Mm -hmm. you know, but it definitely would roar up once in a while. Yeah. So here you are (laughs) now Said it
0: out loud. You have now admitted we're done here. Mm now what
1: that day it was the morning and we moved his stuff upstairs to one of the kids bedrooms because they had both moved out by this time Mm -hmm. so we actually lived amicably together for I don't know what was it maybe five or six weeks while we sorted out things divvied up our furniture and you know who was gonna move and if was anyone gonna stay and Mm he I have to give him a lot of credit like he took care of me like he didn't fight me on things and we were very able to get really get through that amicably I mean I was a Wreck. It was emotional, <laughs> but right. at least we weren't also, you know, fighting or getting lawyers involved. So then I moved out to my very first apartment. And that's an emotional time. But I mean, Let's I just that. remember like everybody left. All my friends helped. Even my soon to be ex husband helped move me in. And then everyone left and I just crumpled on the floor. I was like, God, I'm alone. This actually happened. And here I am. Yeah. And
0: so I tell I us, is that, is that, that, moment you spoke
1: of? No, that came a few months later. I, I was numb for a little while, I think, and I had a job and intentionally didn't tell my boss that I was going through this so that I'd have a safe place to go or I didn't have to talk about it. Yeah. And so I forced myself to function there and that was probably good for me in some ways. And then I'd come home and just be a wreck on the floor. And I got pretty suicidal those first few months. So it was... What'd that look like for you? I really didn't trust myself when I was driving. I often would fantasize about driving off the edge. It was Mm. really hard. And I'm sorry, I didn't think I'd be crying on
0: here. (laughs) What do you think prevented you from not driving off the
1: edge? I don't know because I really felt like I didn't care if I lived or not. And my kids were grown and okay. Like, you know, it's like your kids always need you and want you around, but I didn't feel like I was needed, you know? So I'm not really sure. I had an amazing group of friends. My girlfriends were my girls. I mean, they just gathered around me all the time. We set up systems. I started having anxiety attacks, which I'd never had before. And I I had to like have a system where I would just text 911 to one of my friends and they would just come and like, I literally had to be scraped off of a parking lot pavement at one point, you know, it was just like, I got out of my car and laid on the ground. I couldn't go anywhere else. Yay, you, and said you couldn't even move Nobody moved. stopped to help you. And nobody stopped to help me, but my friend was on her way and she came and she got me home, you know? And then there was, I got on the, I think the biggest moment where I finally just realized that I needed to figure out who I was, was a moment where I remember laying on the floor in the dark for a long time. And then I remembered feeling like I, this, like, I don't know how to describe it. It was like, this is the moment, like, Either I'm not going to make it or I'm going to fight right now. I just sort of felt this. And so I texted my best friend and I literally crawled to the shower and I got on the floor of the shower and turned on the water and just needed to feel my edges for lack of a better way to put it. Like I just almost didn't feel like I was inhabiting my own body.
0: I love how you say that, that you needed the water to penetrate your skin. Mm-hmm. You felt
1: something. To feel like I exist. I'm here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so that's where my friend found me when she came in. And I don't remember very much of it. I remember her yelling at me, what did you take? Like she was afraid that I was like, had taken something. I was like, nothing, I'm okay. You know. So she helped me out out and stayed with me and from that moment on i just was like okay it's hard and i'm all i've got but i can do this I can do this I started to be able to think more rationally in terms of everything that i actually did in the marriage you know it was like i handled our finances he was the breadwinner but i paid all the bills I did the budgeting i knew what i was doing you know I was very capable of these things that were in front of me that I'd never done before so I had to figure out how to you know wash my own car that we were pretty traditional there were a lot I'd never used a barbecue grill before. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know how to put windshield fluid in my car. And yeah. yeah. The guy things. always did
0: that. Right. Yeah.
1: That's- Man's job, yeah. But then, I mean, those moments were so empowering. I just remember, like, doing a dance with my sister after we YouTubed putting in the washer fluid in the car, and we had my hood open, and we got it all in, and we were just—I mean, you would have thought I just won the lottery. We were and <laughs> and it was so freaking empowering. It was like, I am woman. Hear me roar! Tell,
0: tell about that moment when there was uh, country music on.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> so a lot of it was like, remember when my friend asked me what I wanted, and I was like. I don't know. Then I kind of started to evaluate what is me? Well, we always listen to country music and I was playing country music one day in my car, just out of habit. I was like, I don't think I like country music. Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think this <laughs> is me. And sure enough, it really isn't. It really isn't. Wow. So it turns out I'm like hip hop raps. Like I could not be more opposite. The opposite. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. But yeah, that was just what we listened to. And I never questioned it. Mm. And I found humor in it and I just embraced it. But yeah, I don't care country music. So there were just a lot of those things that were his and therefore ours. And I had to extricate me. Mm-hmm like I, there was never a me in our marriage. It was him and us. You had so. to like
0: unpack this suitcase
1: of the last 29, almost 30
0: years of pretty much everything you knew. And then did right. you just evaluate? Wait, that's not me. Wait, that's not me. Throw it away. Throw it. Get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. Find your way. And it sounds like the shower, the water was that turning point for you where you're There's like, water. okay, we're done here. I'm going to fix that. Yeah. yeah. So your friends were obviously amazing people and helped yeah. you. And that's, you know, we all need our tribe to help us. And I'm so glad you had that. I know you are it's so great. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they literally we go, go because, know you know, we needed, obviously, in my opinion, you were supposed to be here to yes, do your business. But I think from what I feel and your poetry that needs to be blown up, that girl is amazing. And you're all going to hear it in a minute. So don't worry. <laughs> but let's go from I'm finding out what I'm doing. I'm putting washer fluid in my car. I am becoming me. And what does that look like for you now? Have you just like put your shoes and your heels into the sand and you're like, I'm here and you're there and you're standing, go and find a new job. What happens?
1: Yeah. I mean, that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I switched jobs. That's, I went and got my PNC license and went to work for an insurance company, which is the job that I ended up doing my burn my ships thing from, but that was also empowering. Like I had to pass exams and did that on my first try and got welcomed into an office environment and found that I was very capable. Of integrating in there. I mean, I'd had a lot of fear around that because I hadn't worked outside the home in a really long time. And so yeah, I think I just slowly started finding that I had value, I had skills, I was, you know, still had a great group of friends around me, was making new friends, things were good. So that's when I started to look at, you know, now what's next? Like this was all built out of survival. Now I have a sense of what I want for my future for the first time. So how do I make that happen for myself? And I just really felt like because I was single, working from home for myself felt important. I have two dogs that I got in the divorce. (laughs) And so they live with me and it was hard to be gone all day yeah, and then take care of them and do everything, right? All the things that you have to do when you're single. So it was like my evenings and weekends were spent running errands. you know, everybody knows the drill when they have Mm -hmm. to do this. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have any downtime and I just thought, well, if I could work from home, then I could, you know, take a five in a break and get my laundry done. Right. <laughs> kind of I can. So you know, I knew mean, that was the base of what I wanted to do, and I just kind of had to figure out what that looked like. So then, that's when I heard about real estate transaction management. And... Yeah, did you
0: see that? Now, tell me. Remind me. How did you find out about this real estate transaction? So
1: it was management? through a friend of a friend had worked in this business and then had left to go to an in house like compliance position. But so was sharing that with our mutual friend, who then shared it with me. And it was like, I immediately knew that was my thing. It was my wheelhouse. It was all my skill set. You just felt it. At the same time, I was just like, really? Like, am I about to do this? Because I don't know anything about real estate. So I researched it for about six weeks and I was like, yeah.
0: You just felt it in, in your gut that this was yeah, it. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: it was just that I think I shared this with you earlier. It's like I have learned this was back when I was married, but I got invited by a friend to do a triathlon. And I had this immediate feeling in my stomach of fear, terror like, oh, no, I'm not really about to do this. And also on the flip side, at the same moment, I had it was the same feeling, but could name it as exhilaration. Oh, my gosh, I'm about to do this, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And so I said, yes. And that was really. My only other experience with that feeling, but I recognized it. Yeah, because you
0: you had success.
1: Yeah, I had success. You had big success. You have to say this somebody who's never really been an athlete, and then you go do this triathlon, and not at all. How did you feel? This. I mean, I didn't even know how to swim officially. Like, I was okay in the water, but I didn't have like form, you know, or how to breathe or any of that sort of thing. I was like a head out of the water swimmer, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I had to teach myself how to swim, so I just started going to the lap pool, like three, four times a week, and then had to start practicing in open water because it was a half mile open water swim. And then the day of the triathlon, the swim was my favorite part. It's cemented in my head. I can still see the brown of my arm. Um, coming up against the blue of the sky and the water and my view. And I just was like, I was so disappointed when I had to get out of the water. I would have liked to have just circled around and done the swim again rather than go get on my bike, which the swim was the thing I was afraid of. It was the thing that I didn't think I could do. So that was really empowering for me to realize I could be afraid of something. I think that's huge. The thing you were most afraid of was the thing you fell in love with. Right. Interesting. Right. So it was good groundwork when you look back. You know, the thing I was most afraid of was being alone, and then it turned out that's the thing I love the most now. You know, wow. so then same thing with the job. It's like, oh, I felt this exact same terror exhilaration combination, and I was like, well, then that's for me. So I've learned to kind of listen to that inside of my body, and fear Intuition. is now a marker for me. It's like I follow the fear. Yeah. What am I afraid of? As long as it's not like I'm afraid of it because it's harmful, you know. But right. <laughs> so what am I afraid well then that's probably what's next oh yeah. so huge
0: <laughs> following your well the gut the gut yeah. is actually our second brain but it's also our intuition is there as mm-hmm. well that's when they say follow your gut that's what it is yeah so you followed it and yeah you're, you're here in this job you have this awesome boss and you're talking to her it's another empowered woman these mm-hmm. that in you and you're like well this is good I can research this transaction thing here mm-hmm. and still have an income and still yeah. have safety and still still do that.
1: What made you jump? Um, well, she was in her seventies and she had been such a great mentor and role model for me as a female entrepreneur. And she, I mean, when I told her about it, she didn't flinch. She was just like, Janine, I want to see you fly. And she supported me. And she's like, you take whatever time you need. If you, you know, keep working here. And if you need to go meet with clients or take a class, you go ahead and go do all of that. So she had been fabulous. And I knew that she was going to be retiring. You know, I I assumed she's actually still hasn't retired, which is hilarious. <laughs> but she was talking about retirement. We were all sort of expecting retirement okay. and I didn't want to be out of job. And I was like, I'm here trying to get this business up and running. And I still haven't gotten my first client and I don't know what I need to put more in, but I don't have anything else to give. I was exhausted. I mean, oh, I was first you're first doing first, like two things. Off. Yeah. And still all my stuff, right. Still all me for everything else too. Mm-hmm. So I was so tired and I just was like, I've come this far. I've put this much time, energy, and money into getting started. I have to see this through. I have to know. I can't just take the safe way out that like, there was a part of me that wanted to to do that and just stop, you know, and find another safe job. But right, I just was like, no, I've put too much in. And I've told people, which accountability played a yeah. role for sure. It's like, I didn't want to like just fail because I couldn't see it through. So I was like, okay, you know, do I believe I can be good at this? Yes, absolutely. I had no doubt that I had the skill set to be good at it. I just had to get one person to be willing to be my first client and trust right. me. Right. And that's harder than you think. But I definitely realized as soon as I quit, I was like, I think we've reached that point, you know, where I need to quit and go all in on this. So I gave my notice. And after I stopped, it was amazing the shift in my mindset of the things that I had been so afraid to do. I was staying kind of in a safe networking circle. I wasn't like walking into these places where I didn't know anybody and just walking around the room and introducing myself. But all of a sudden, okay, that's where they're at. That's where my clients are. I've got to go there. They're not going to come to me. And so just took breaths breaths and started doing that and I would shake and I learned not to like pick up anything to drink because I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like adrenaline. But- nothing,
0: what and Janine, so nothing bad happened. Like you didn't drop dead. Like you right. hit your fear head on and nothing bad happens. Like right. it's right. right. And it started
1: working. It's like I did have more to give. And I just had to be in that place where I didn't have a backup plan to catch me mm-hmm. to motivate myself enough to do the thing that was terrifying to me. You know, right. to really put myself out there to be visible, to really go for it and try to sign clients. So then I started signing clients and then it just snowballed. Yeah. Like, flash forward. Got busy today you have a wait list. I have a wait list.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm pretty proud um, of me too.
1: <laughs> and
0: tell me this. So can we just talk for a minute about the poetry? Yeah. I really want to talk about that because I really think that's something that you're going to end up being famous for. So yeah. tell me about this whole, why are you writing? poetry? How did this even start? And then we're going to share that
1: piece you wrote. Okay. I wrote poetry as a teenager. I actually have a notebook of poems that I wrote as a teenager. I'm thinking about doing a project where I talk to myself through poetry, my teenage self and my current self. I think that might be interesting. Oh my God. Um, It was pretty angsty, but I didn't have like a, I was too much, right? My emotions were too much in my family. So I learned to put them away, but they had to come out somehow. So I wrote. And so I wrote It was your
0: form of journaling, right? Right? hmm So yeah. funny, I had a journal too.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they never left the book. I never showed them to anybody. Mm-hmm. They were very private. I got married and I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I would journal over the years, but it was more like, you know, normal journaling, what I did that day and <laughs> that sort of thing. What keep things? I had that donut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Be yeah. Better tomorrow. <laughs> All right. So part of this becoming Janine again, finding myself was remembering how creative I am. And I have a job that is, there's creativity in it, but I mean, it's a pretty, you know, straightforward compliance oriented, document oriented job. I'm this very creative person. And so I took up journaling on a little deeper level during my divorce and kind of was practicing that. And then last summer um, during the pandemic and all of like the horrible, so social injustice stuff coming to, you know, rise. And I had all this emotion around all of it that I didn't know what to do. So I sat down and journaled it, which I think a lot of people did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there was something different this time where I looked at it and I immediately realized it was a poem. Oh my gosh. It was like, oh my gosh, this is the poem. And then I had this flood of memories of this is who I am. This is how I used to express myself. And I was good at it. I knew I was good at it. And so I looked at it again and I shared it with my coach and a good friend like I shared it with just a couple people and I was like I think it's a poem for two voices I felt like it needed to be you know what that is where someone reads one line someone reads another and some lines are read by both and then my coach was like I actually think it's a voice a poem for many voices I was like oh my gosh you're so right because what it was was a parallel of the pandemic and racial injustice all the words that apply to vote because there's a lot it's really cool and so the poems titled Breathing Room. And my nephew is a filmmaker. And I hired him because I had a vision in my head. I was like, I can see this." So I shared Ah. that vision with him. He got on board. I brought in, so myself and a black woman, a black man and a white man. And we kind of covered the full age spectrum too, from like around 30 to 70. (laughs) And we just had all that in. So we did this shoot day and we made a video and I realized I had this thing. There's a word for it that I hadn't known until I created. That poem, and it's called Artivism. So it's art as activism, and that's what this poem was. It was like, oh my gosh, like I just was able to give voice to what so many people are feeling, putting words around it, and allowing an outlet for people to feel the emotion around it. So I put it up publicly. I created a Facebook page for artivism and decided that I want to be active in this. And I want to support other people who are being active in this, using their art to propel society forward and help humanity heal and all of those things. So I put it up there. It was shown at an international women's conference in January. And so I signed up for a poetry workshop and I've just been writing, writing, writing since then and really finding I call it my vulnerable visibility so I'm finding this outlet this ability to write my emotions and to and then what I'm finding is when I share them my in the poetry workshop the guy that was leading it said it's important that we be witnessed and that line just really resonated with me and it's like okay I can't just write my poems and put them in the drawer anymore they need to be witnessed so every time I share it I get such great feedback just that it hits a place in people where You might not relate to the specific adjectives or words that I'm choosing for that poem, but you will relate to the emotion underneath it. There's something in your life, you know, that it pulls at that you can relate to. So I think it is a gift. I don't know where it's going. I don't have a plan for it other than I'm just going to keep writing what's in my heart and what needs to be expressed. And I'll put it out there. You're open. You're open to whatever comes from it.
0: Yeah. Who knows? But it's like you're the artist that made the painting and everybody comes to it and pulls something else out of it that it means to you, yes. right? Yes. And you- Same thing with the words on the paper.
1: Right.
0: And I'm excited. So we're going to share your links, share your business, share your links. We'll share all that at the end and put it in the show notes. I have watched that. What's it called again? I forgot the name of it. I've watched
1: your. The the poem that was on the video. Yeah. Breathing room. Breathing room. That's right. Oh, wow. 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 Mm Wow. I think everyone,
0: especially right now, it should be required in schools to watch that. Mm, Wow. I, I mean, there's a thing with that. Yes. Just like with some of my other guests that are coming on, there's some curriculum that I think would be so helpful for students. Your stuff, there's human design stuff that would be so important for kids to learn about Mm -hmm. where they need to be and focus. And oh my gosh, so much good stuff. So we'll keep doing this and keep moving it and put it out there and we'll see what happens to it. So before we have your poem, what is next for you?
1: I think to keep following the fear, I don't really have a destination in mind, which is kind of beautiful. So yeah, I'm just going to keep following the, you know, what my body is telling me is next and doing vulnerable visibility and making sure that I am being a full expression of myself. And um, hopefully, you know, bringing some people up behind me, helping them start their own businesses, doing what I do or getting involved in artivism. Like I think that I would like to start playing some sort of a leader role and maybe in all of those areas. <laughs> we'll see what happens.
0: Janine, I mean, you're definitely one of those women that I was talking to a, a younger gal who has a great business and she's actually going to help me with the podcast as far as marketing and things. And she's like, no, we need women like you and your guests for us to stand on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. You're definitely one of those women.
1: Um, Oh, yeah. for you. sure for sure yeah I just
0: feel it okay yeah. so are
1: you ready, ready? I'll a quick drink of water just to because <laughs> <I do> <laughs> this poem
0: is truly amazing i recommend you rewind it and listen to it again at the end of the podcast and without further ado janine
1: valentine so this poem is called height and i won't even describe it because i want it to mean what it means to you <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> okay Height. here we go hmm? For most of my life, like many people I know, I've had a fear of heights, although fear doesn't quite define the sensations. The word terror better describes my internal state at elevations. My body paralyzed, barely breathing, heart palpation, my mind reeling like a spider trapped in her own web, holding myself back from nourishment. As if I cannot trust myself not to suddenly lose my balance on this perfectly flat surface, or to let go, as if compelled into the void of space below, unaware my mind might be planning a darkly secret crime of opportunity should i ever get near enough to the edge seizing the moment to brutally plummet myself to my death recently i made a discovery an aha moment that is perhaps the key to recovery the fear is not of being up high being up high actually amplifies where the root of the fear lies this terror we name fear of heights is actually the fear of falling right as if we cannot trust ourselves not to suddenly lose our balance on this perfectly flat surface, or to let go as if compelled into the void of space below, unaware our minds might be planning a darkly secret crime of opportunity should we ever get near enough to the edge, seizing the moment to brutally plummet us to our deaths. Interestingly, this also applies to a plethora of life's ties. We work to be the best, only to then fear being put to the test, And falling, having our best bested, being replaced, imposter syndrome outed, being disgraced. We fall from popularity. We fall out of grace. We fall out of favor. We fall out of love. The truth of this life is that if we reach heights, we potentially fall. The fear of these falls holds us back from being outstanding, taking the lead, taking the leap, experiencing triumph, going first class, shattering that glass. Overcoming, achieving success, being the best, going all in, owning our skin. I can trust myself even when I feel off balance. My shadow side craves life, not death. My survival instinct has been tested. What if I were to lean over that edge as if truly invested? Seize the moment. To explore the space below for patterns and lessons. Height bring perspective. Our falls hold a message. Let go and climb that mountain, achieve elevation. Falling is not dying. It's the prerequisite for flying. Yeah. Deep breath. Yeah. And that's yeah. He goes back to my old boss who said, Janine, I just want to see you fly. So take a fall and fly. <laughs> yeah, fly.
0: Yeah. Janine, thank you so much. That was amazing. Again, I got to hear it twice. <laughs> so <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your gifts, your talents. I am. So honored and grateful for you allowing me to scoop you up and make you do this <laughs> podcast, unheard of podcast, and everyone can relate to that poem. I just, I know who cannot relate to it, especially as we're in our second wind and living our purpose and being authentic yeah. to our highest self. There's a reason why it's high, right? Yes. Yes. It's all tied in. <laughs> That worked out really well, actually. It did. That was beautiful. Wow. (laughs) So thank you so much. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired,